Story structure. Michel Roberts, Louis de Bernière, and Alex Garland talk about structuring devices in some of their novels. The chapter headings in Daughters of the House are there for a very particular reason to do with that story. One of the women who's the main there are two main narrators, and one of them is called Leonie. She's very materialistic, rather possessive and greedy. And she's making a list of the contents of the house she lives in because she wants to make sure she can keep them. And they're under threat, she thinks, from her cousin Therese, who's returning home after a long absence. So those chapter headings are simply lists of Leonie's possessions. But also they're a way for the novel and for me, the writer, to linger over particular things in the house and conjure out their stories. For example, if you look at an old linen cupboard in the corner of the dining room... The two little girls, once they've opened the doors of it, can look at the sheets in there or the napkin rings or the plates and remember certain events in family life, certain traumas, certain crises. So the chapter headings, I think, help the characters tell the story. I tend to structure novels according to imaginary geometric considerations. So my first novel, The War of Don Emmanuel, was in other parts. I thought of as a trident where you had three storylines merging into one. And my second one I thought of as being more like a branch with little twigs coming off it, or maybe like a river with little streams coming in. So you had a main story with subsidiary stories coming in from the side. My third novel, I think I, I rather grandly conceived it as being like the Eroica Symphony, which is not exactly geometric. But <laughs> I can't remember now whether that worked out very well, but it did give me a template. And Corelli, I was thinking of it as a solid, as a pyramid. So it started with a very, very broad base and lots and lots of characters. And as time went by, it narrowed down until we only had one or two left. There's something about structure I really like. Um, I like the aspect of it that's like a puzzle. And in the Tesseract, I gave myself an unbelievably rigid structure, a much more rigid structure than probably comes across in reading it. So... Things like the opening page of each of the three sections will actually mirror the other opening three pages in, in lots and lots of different ways. And, um, and that continues at sort of punctuation points throughout those sections. The thing about it, it's almost like making a low-budget film. The, the fact that you don't have lots of money that you can draw on, or you don't have a, just a great expanse of stretching ahead of you of, of freedom forces you to, to think really, really hard about how to fit what you want to fit in there, how to do it. And it's just twisting your own arm behind your back to make you be imaginative about it. Narrative Time Louis de Bernier and Michel Roberts Working out the time scale is actually a very big problem. If you're going to bring characters back after a long period of in which nothing happens, then people think that you've rushed the ending of your book, you know, which was a common complaint about Captain Corelli. The book I'm writing at the moment, I'm determined that it should end in 1923. And consequently, I've got to go through sort of, I don't know, two ethnic cleansings and three wars in order to get there. And you begin to think, you know, damn it, why, why did I make this decision? So, so sometimes you're trapped by what's imposed on you by your own timing. But generally speaking, if your stories are going well, in the same way that a character develops its, that develops itself, the time scale, the range of the time seems also to define itself, and you don't necessarily have to plan it. The wonderful thing about writing prose, whether you choose to use the present tense or the past tense or a mixture, you've got to put one word next to another. It's a linear form, and it does, in a sense, make your eye travel 
down a page, over a page, from a beginning to an end. However experimental you are, that's what the eye does. That's how words are put together. So, of course, each sentence has built into it a past. And there's a kind of sorrow in that for a writer, because I think writers often want to be like artists, to put everything on the canvas at once, but we can't do that. Then when you start to organise your sentences into bigger structures, which you might call stories or novels, you've got enormous decisions to make about the gap in time, particularly if you're using the past tense, between the teller of the story, where is she now, and the story she's telling. Now, some writers, I think, and I've done it myself, would use a completely innocent or naive telling. I may be 30 years old, but I'm telling you about what it was like to be five, as though there's no gap in between. And I'm going to try and recreate the language and feeling of a five-year-old. A more sophisticated or experimental way of telling that story might be to exploit the gap and to let your 30-year-old narrator not let on that she's 30, but not let on where she's coming from or what's happened between being five and being 30. She might decide to be an unreliable narrator. She might decide, therefore, to keep back certain crucial items of information in the interests of making a more playful or powerful or moving story. So I think if you're to be a narrator of any power at all, you need to think about the past and how you're using it in the present of your writing. Novelists talk about the importance of point of view and how they select it. Listen to Monique Roffey, Michelle Roberts and Patricia Dunker. Point of view is something that you really need to get right. A, you need to know about it. And if you don't know about it, find out about it. I think it's one of your most essential decisions up there with who are your protagonists? Um, what is your story about? One of the top decisions you need to make right from the start is who's the narrator? How am I going to tell the story? I think it's an instinctual choice, you know, how do you feel most comfortable? What kind of novel is it? I'm not an experimental writer, so I have no interest in giving myself more hard work by writing in the first person or writing in the second person or writing as a dog or something, you know. Really, that's just not something that I would ever recommend anyone do. Get comfortable. You're telling a story. It's as simple as that. And tell it in the most the easiest voice you can the perspective of the narrative. It means finding out why the story should be told in this way or that way. Eventually, after a lot of waiting and negative capability and dark night of the soul and not being able to do it, I begin, I suppose, to hear a voice. That's what it is, that there's a voice telling or talking, and that's my way in. And then other voices might come in, because I nearly always write novels with more than one voice telling the story. That's the kind of narrative I like. I think point of view, I mean, I would catch hold of that as being one of the most important decisions that you can make when you're writing prose fiction. Because when you've decided from whose point of view the story is going to be told, you've made a whole lot of other decisions without even knowing it. You've committed yourself to things that the reader can't know, doesn't know, will only gradually know. If you do that without thinking it through, you're going to be in trouble. So that when you make your decision about point of view and narrative voice, then a lot of other decisions fall into place. Now hear from Abdul Razak Gurna about his use of the first person in his novel By the Sea, a story of asylum seekers. One of his first person narrators asks whether anyone can tell their own story reliably without self-importance. 
Uh, what he was meaning when speaking in that way was, how can I tell a story that is uninflected, that is truthful, that is honest, and also speak as an I, also speak as a first person? So can an I ever speak about anything where it concerns personal experience without putting the I first, without putting the I forward, defending the I, protecting the I? Can that happen? And I suspect probably no. But, you know, that doesn't really matter. I mean, when you write in the first, using a first-person narrator, you can just as well reveal the limitations, in terms of truth-telling anyway, the limitations of this voice, and that too is part of the writing. You can say, look, this first person, this narrator is telling us X, Y, and Z, but we don't really believe everything he tells us. It's not that writing has to be truthful all the time, or indeed that it has to be truthful, because the very gaps it leaves in themselves have meaning. Even its untruths have meaning. He now discusses his decision to write that novel using alternating first-person narrators. The desire was, first of all, to make two positions, and to make two positions that are not mediated by another voice, so they just speak, and where the conflict will appear in the narrative. Now, this they may pick up amongst themselves in the final part where they actually talk, or the reader might pick up and say, but that's not what so-and-so said. The intention here was simply to say that if given an opportunity, this is how we deliver our stories, and not really to make finer judgments than that, to say, given opportunities, we make stories, and indeed this is how we know ourselves. We don't know ourselves by reflection, I don't think, uh, nor do other people know us by what they observe of us. Often we know ourselves and other people by the stories we construct. We construct ourselves in stories, I think. The other thing that I was interested in using two voices is that, of course, they both come from the same place. But there's a kind of generation gap difference between them. There's also another difference between them, which is that one has been living in this place for the previous 30 or so years, and the other one has been away. So I wanted to say, how do we see the same place differently, depending on our experience? And you couldn't really do this by having a third voice that says, this is what it was like for him, and this is what it was like for him. So I thought, if they speak for themselves, even if they're not speaking directly to this subject, this actually allows different experiences and different understandings of experience to come out without forcing the issue, without saying, compare them, please. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.